Hey there, welcome to the Collide Podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide. I absolutely love that I get to hang out with you every single week. I don't know what you're up to. Maybe you are super inspired on that treadmill and you are making it happen or carpooling today, or you're on a walk in a beautiful space this fall. I don't know where you are, but I am coming to you from an old bathroom because that's where we record this podcast. It is not glamorous, but God shows up anyways, because isn't that what God does? He shows up in the most unexpected of places and an old bathroom is one. I absolutely love having conversations with people every single week who are experiencing experiencing our God run into their lives in ways that are unexpected, in ways that are gracious and good and healing and redemptive, and then using what he does in their lives in other people's lives. And today is no different. I am handing you an interview that I just did with Natalie Runyon. She just released her first book, which is going a little crazy. People are eating it up. It's called Raised to Stay. And she shares her story of the brutal beauty of being raised in the church. And 42 years later here, she's still holding on to Jesus somehow, some way. And I would say with the mass exodus that's going on in the church right now, this will encourage both you and the people that you love in this hard place that we're in. So take a listen. Natalie, it's so fun to hang out with you. You're coming in all the way from Kentucky, and I'm here in Washington, and I love that we can connect in this way. You just came out with a book called Raised to Stay, and there's so many things I want to ask you about uh, your experience of being raised in the church, and I thought we could just start with you're a pastor's kid and now a pastor, what do you think you saw in your parents as, as you saw them pastor that made you want to be a pastor as well? I saw their love for people. You know, I think we forget that pastoring is like, you know, 10% being on a platform, doing the preaching and the teaching and all of that, and 90% loving people. And my parents did such a beautiful job of, you know, bringing us into the lives of those they were leading. We were probably with our church family more than we were our biological family in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And so my parents just taught my sister and I to love people well and and to take the risk on people. And, and you know, if you love, you're probably going to get hurt. And so that's kind of been what drove me to keep going back to the church, even when I got hurt, was I knew there were good people in there and that I would find family. And, and I'm grateful for that legacy that they left. I, I'm writing this down because I want to make sure to return to it. And you you just said, if you love people, you're probably going to get hurt. And you watched your parents. You said they took a risk on people. You watched them live this life where they invested and they poured out and they gave and they sacrificed. And I'm sure you probably saw some pain that came with that as well. What was that? side of your experience? Like, did you see your parents get hurt? And why did you come out thinking the sacrifice is still worth that risk? It's been 44 years of church life for me, you know, 20 years as a pastor's kid, 24 years in adult ministry. And watching my parents go through deep church hurt as a teenager actually did change my life. It took me on this trajectory from wanting to be 
in a Christian college and being a youth pastor to sending me to a public university in Ohio where I majored in kinesiology. I mean, it changed my life watching my parents get hurt by the church my senior year of high school and how that impacted um, not only my family, but my own personal ministry, my own personal dreams of what my future in the church would look like. And I had to go on my own journey following my senior year of high school throughout five years of college into being a public school teacher and then going back slowly into ministry and learning to trust people again, learning to trust that God's call on my life was still active, even though I needed to take a minute and really wrestle with my faith and wrestle with the way that I was going to love God's people, even when they wounded me. And so it definitely hasn't been overnight. It's been an everyday surrender of really letting go of those hurts from my past and continuing to choose to see Jesus in people when people are not showing me Jesus. Mm-hmm. Did you have that experience where you watched your parents get hurt? Your, I think you said your senior year in high school. Did you have a moment where you were like, forget the church, I'm out, I'm done with this? Did your parents have that moment? Yeah. I mean, my dad actually started looking for jobs for the first time in my life. I was watching him circle jobs in the newspaper. And that was so weird for me. It gave me such an identity crisis to go from being the pastor's kid to now not being the pastor's kid. And who am I if my dad's not a pastor? And my dad ended up being very successful in the business world in um, you know, selling cars, which who knew? People loved that a pastor was selling cars. They felt like they could trust him. And he actually turned his license in. He turned in his denominational license and was mm-hmm. like, I'm done with this. No, thank you. I end up at Miami of Ohio and I'm in a science major now. I'm like, I wanted to be a youth pastor. Now I don't want to be anywhere near the church because they're just going to do to me what they did to my parents. And I watched my parents wrestle with that while at the same time I was wrestling with that. And it's so crazy because a few years later, I was probably a senior in high school. My dad called me and said that there was another church in town that needed a pastor. And they had called him and said, would you come pastor this church? And and he took it. He did it. He he stepped right back into ministry, come to find out mm-hmm. they never accepted him turning his credentials in. He was still fully credentialed and he, he went right back in. And it was just cr- so beautiful to watch him make that slow change. It was about four years in between. And then it also started me thinking, well, if my dad can go back in, you know, maybe there's something that I still have to do in ministry that I could also go back in. And so it was just uh, very interesting to watch us go through that together. Um, And now to still be in full-time ministry, you know, all these years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something beautiful about watching someone be able to trust again, to be able to put themselves in the position where they're willing to risk getting hurt for the betterment of the greater good. And it sounds like you saw your parents do that. It's such a fascinating thing. I've been studying, I think it's Mark 2, where the four men carry the paralytic to Jesus. And it's so crazy because they they carry him to Jesus. Jesus is teaching at a house. The house is full. And most people would get there and just be like, oh, we're, this isn't going to happen for you today. And, you know, the Bible says they climb up on the roof, which translates they unroof the roof. I mean, these four guys just go to every length to 
to help this guy who needs healing. And they, they lower him down in the middle of a living room. And I think about this guy, this paralytic guy who has clearly already been hurt in so many ways in life, physically, probably relationally, socially, financially, and, and maybe even spiritually, his view of, of what he's experiencing might have been projected onto God. And here he is, and he has to trust these four people, these humans, to carry him to healing and lower him down. They could drop him. This could make him look like a fool. And it's so interesting. I've been thinking about this idea that it's so crazy to me that God actually often uses broken humans to carry us towards the healing that needs to happen in our lives. And yet it's broken humans who've created a lot of our wounds, right? And so it's so interesting for for God to say, I know you've been hurt to your dad, but I'm actually going to ask you to go back in and trust that that even though you might get hurt by broken humans, I'm going to I'm going to do a healing and I'm going to do a work. It's just such a vulnerable thing to do to put yourself back in the position of trusting humans who could hurt you again. Absolutely. And we're not guaranteed it's not going to happen again. I mean, that's the the reality of of just being human and then also owning our own role in hurting people where we have unintentionally or intentionally um, hurt people in the church as well and really coming to a place of repentance for our part and then having to also believe that just because we're forgiving doesn't mean we have to trust. It doesn't mean that we have to forget. It doesn't mean that we have to let abusers back into our lives, but it's an opportunity for us to release people from the prisons of our heart and refocus our race back on to the original calling of going and making disciples. And that could be done in a church. That could be done on a car dealership like my dad did for a while. It could be teaching like I did. Um, but this mandate to go and make disciples, it, it isn't going to be stopped because people hurt us. We can choose to let it be stopped because people hurt us. But I love how Jesus didn't let Judas throw him off mission. And we also can't let our Judas and our Saul throw us off mission, though mm. it would be very easy to do and validated in a lot of ways. And so that's an everyday endeavor to say, look, I don't want those who have hurt me to stop me from doing what God has called me and created me to do. And that can take counseling. That can take years of mentorship and discipleship to trust to go back in again. Um, but you're right. We will always, until kingdom comes here on earth, be imperfect people leading imperfect people. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that you mentioned owning our own role. I know <clears throat> years back I was hurt by a leader and a pastor, and it took me many years of being in ministry myself where I began to see my own capabilities and incapabilities, my own failings and ability to hurt others and make mistakes that actually gave me a grace and a compassion for the way that he hurt me that made me able to go and have a conversation with him so that we could find peace. But it, it actually took a, that time period to go, oh, like a sense of ownership, like, oh, I, I can hurt people too. Like, miss, like, not on purpose, just on accident, right? And so that kind of compassion towards someone else realizing that you can easily hurt others too feels very important to that peace process. 
Absolutely. I always say I'm one bad day away from being somebody's Saul or somebody's Judas, um, especially as a leader. You know, we think we're right in our own eyes. We think we're leading people well, but all it takes is one unhealthy season um, for us to feel, you know, com- com- uh, combative or competitive like a Saul to a David mm. or to betray a brother like Judas did to Jesus. And so we all have to be living this life of constant search me, O Lord, and show me where I have any wickedness in my heart um, so that I don't do to other people what has been done for me. And, and that's a that takes a lot of humility and a lot of accountability to live in that constant place of reflection. So in your book, Raised to Stay, you talk about honest disappointment in the church. And I'm curious, what did it look like for you to be truly honest with God and others about your disappointment? What's your advice to people who maybe that's like step one is just kind of naming the pain? We have to remember that Christians are really good at gaslighting. We're really good at gaslighting each other, which is just kind of minimizing pain. But we're really good at gaslighting ourselves. And we are really good at saying, oh, it wasn't that bad. That person didn't mean it. Um, I should just get over it. And what we do is we just shove a bunch of our pain under a rug only to have it re-enter into our lives at really unopportune times. Usually when we're stepping into a new role of leadership, it just sneaks back in. And when we are honest with our disappointment, when we are honest with people hurt me, this hurt me, that leader was abusive to me. When we name it, we expose it to the light. We get that darkness out into the light. We name it for what it is. We give it a season. We say, look, that that happened to me 10 years ago. I don't believe it's going to be everywhere I go. But I want to name it so it has a name and a face and I don't bring old dirt into new seasons. And a lot of times what happens is we just keep going church to church, staff to staff, position to position without naming our pain, without confessing um, our hurt. And we end up just being this big ball of, of unhealth, you know, trying to lead other people. And that's how we hurt people is when hurt people start leading people because then hurt people hurt people. And really what we want is for healed people to be healing people, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious what your best advice is for people who feel like they want to give up on the church. Well, first of all, I don't blame you. The church is acting out a little bit right now. We've got a lot of reasons to uh, really question what we're seeing in some some sectors. There is no doubt that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There have been abusers. We see the documentaries. We know that even though there's two sides to every story, that there is still more dysfunction than there needs to be in the church. So I want to say, number one, I believe you. If you tell me you've been abused by a pastor or a leader, or you've been hurt by the church, I 100% believe you. And I would also say that while I empathize with you in that situation or your past, I also don't want to sit and to validate a lie the enemy is telling us that all churches are bad and that all leaders are going to hurt us. When in reality, the church is God's idea. The church is God's. It's his bride. And he loves his church. And we are going to see change. I believe we're going to see the church change in these years to come. We're going to see good change. We're going to be part of that change. But if we quit, then we won't be able to take all of these experiences and start to be the change that the church needs to bring healthy leaders into positions, to see people healed and set free. I want to be one of the four lowering my brother down to the floor. And if all of us quit, 
who want to see change and who want to advocate for a healthy church, then these people are going to stay in positions. And so while I, 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 gosh, man, I empathize, but I also want to see us healed. And so my encouragement to you is to try another church. And if that one doesn't feel good, try another church. And if that doesn't feel good, try another church, because there is a body of Christ there for you that will help you heal and be good for you in this season. How do you help people separate that kind of, um, I've had terrible experiences, I've been abused, I've been mistreated, I've seen the church abuse and mistreat people versus people who are looking for a perfect church and a perfect church doesn't exist? I think a lot of us saw this deconstruction movement and this mass exodus of the church as kind of permission to take a break. And especially if you grew up in the church, you got tired. It was a lot of services. It was a lot of work. If you were on a church staff, you're probably burned out. And then COVID hit and it gave us permission to be home. But the truth is ministry people were not resting during COVID. Ministry people were on phones. They were doing online services. Like there was no rest for the weary over COVID. So then you have this mass exodus. You have all of this stuff that is happening right in front of us. And so I think that what we have to realize is that we are in a spot right now where it's like, I don't blame people for wanting to take a minute and just rest, take a minute and just reevaluate. But I also have to remind all of us that God is not in a hurry with our healing. And so if it takes six months for us to take a minute and not attend a church or not be on a church staff or whatever that would look like, that God is not in a hurry with our healing, although we are in a hurry with our own healing and each other's healing. God isn't in competition with any of that. And so just to remind us all to give ourselves space, to give ourselves grace, to to know that there is no perfect church, that we will try our hardest uh, to to defend why we're not going back to church or maybe why we don't feel like we should go back to church. But the truth is, is that if that's what we're looking for is a perfect church, then we're going to be disappointed, number one. But it's also an excuse. You know, when we start going round and round about, you know, well, this church did this to me and this church did that to me, that it, it becomes more of an, of an excuse to kind of sit in our deconstruction than to look for a healthy church that's going to help us rebuild our faith. Mm-hmm. And in my foreword, Lisa Bevere says that deconstruction <clears throat> with no plan to rebuild is just destruction. And I think that deconstruction has given a lot of us a reason to walk away from the church and feel validated in it. When in reality, healthy deconstruction says, no, let's build something healthier together. Let's Mm -hmm. take away the things that aren't of the Lord. And let's really look at what the word of God says, and let's build a church that Jesus would want to come to. And that's what I feel the invitation is right now. It's not about being a perfect church. It's about reconstructing or rebuilding a godly church. And that's what he's inviting us into. Yeah, there's so many people who are deconstructing but not reconstructing. I also see a lot of people who are looking at the behavior of Christians, quote unquote, and they're saying, oh, man, I don't want to be in their club. Like, they're embarrassing me. I'm ashamed of the things they're doing, the things they're saying. They're divisive and polarizing. And so I'm just going to exit this club and I'm not going to be a part of it. Uh, and so what, what I'm seeing happening is people are almost getting stuck in that space of like, I can't find a people who I agree with all the things that I believe. And so therefore I'm just not going to go to church anymore, but then they get stuck no longer growing, no longer in Christian community. 
One of our favorite things around here at Collide is hosting conferences just for you. These one-night events gather together women of all ages, stages, and faith backgrounds for an incredible night of inspiration and encouragement. Attending a Collide conference is a unique experience that women walk away from feeling refreshed, energized, hopeful, and changed. So check out the link in the show notes for more information on our upcoming events and grab your ticket today to join us for an impactful night. Are you seeing this? Yeah. I mean, you think about all the extremist groups, like think about any group. It's like high school, right? You've got the jocks, the um, popular people, the nerds, you got the extreme groups, right? Mm -hmm. And in every group, there is an extremist. There's somebody in the group that's going to take it to the, to the fullness. There's going to be that person. It's no different in adult world. When we look at all of the different groups from politics to, to religion, to different social movements, there's always the extreme side of things that makes that group look bad. But at the core of the group, there are good things that really motivate why they are passionate about what they're passionate about. And, and we could look at those groups and say, well, I don't want anything to do with them because of the five crazy people who made them look crazy. But really, when we look at the church as a whole, there are really good people doing good work for the kingdom who aren't the crazies, who aren't the ones that are making all of the, the fuss, though they get all of the attention. And so I think that there is a lot of validity in that. Like, I don't want to be part of these crazy Christians that are, you know, tweeting crazy stuff online and all of that. But really, if we remove the extremist from like each of these groups that we're talking about, we can see that even in Christian culture, that there are good Christian people who are living their lives humbly, quietly, who just love Jesus and love the church. And that's who I'm interested in hanging out with. That's who I want to find um, are the people who just love me well, and they, they show me Jesus well. And they probably don't have a large following. They probably aren't very popular because they're living their lives humble and and, um, and with a lot of love. And that's who I'm looking for to represent the church. Do you have some sort of helpful, <laughs> I, I don't know, something in your book where you're helping people go, hey, here's how to enter back into a community. Here's how to look for signs of health, signs of this could be a good fit for you. Do you have anything like that? It's actually coming in my second book, but I do talk about it in the first book a little bit about decorating our office and sitting in spaces that we normally would have one foot out of. Like, you know, we kind of tiptoe in and we don't want to be committed 100% because we don't want to get hurt again. But what we're looking for are churches that are really spirit-filled, meaning that they are filled with the fruits of the spirit. We're looking for leaders who are gentle and kind and humble and and who walk with self-control. And, you know, I always say too, like, don't look for churches that are politically driven. Look for churches that are biblically driven. Uh, don't look for pastors who are going to preach their politics, but look for preachers who are going to uh, really preach what Jesus says and what the Word of God says. And look for churches that are multicultural. Look for churches that are um, across the generations, multi-generational. Because what we don't want is to be in a church of people who look and sound just like us. We don't mm -hmm. want to live in an echo chamber. And so in the book, I do talk a little bit about like, hey, there are going to be people who are going to act out, pastors who are going to let you down. There's going to be a lot of that stuff. But if you can find a church that preaches Jesus, if you can find a church that worships in spirit and in truth, then that is the first step to finding a healthy church is one that's not preaching opinions, but preaching the word of God. Mm -hmm. Love it so much. There's so much projecting onto God what is not God's. 
So there's so many, I see this all the time in the work we do with women where, you know, women will come to a class or a conference uh, or an online course or something that we host. And then they want to have a follow-up meeting with me and I'm sitting across from them. In fact, I had a woman who reached out to me. Uh, she was facing uh, what she thought was going to be a devastating cancer diagnosis. And she wanted to meet and we, we sit in the office here and meet. And she says, she's afraid of heaven and hell. And, and I have this conversation with her and I say, you know, tell me a little bit more because I know a lot of people are afraid of hell. A lot of people are afraid of death. I'm, I'm afraid of death. The idea of death sounds terrible and scary. Like, I think we can normalize that. And, and that feels like a universal feeling and experience. But tell me a little bit more about why you're afraid of heaven. And she kind of started sharing her experience in the church. And she was super active and involved and went to youth group and all these things. And she just said she never really felt like she connected with God in the Bible. And her her church involvement had been spotty. And then she just kind of sort of haphazardly mentions that she um, had a man who abused her as a child and he told her to stay quiet because God was in on the little secret. And then she went back into her lack of church involvement and started talking about that and her feelings about the Bible. And I was like, whoa, 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 we need to rewind. Like, let's go back. Did you just say that someone in the church abused you and told you to be quiet and that God was in on this little secret? And she said, yes. And I, I said, if, if that's what God is like, that God would want abuse for you, that he would want you to be hurt, I don't want to go to heaven either. I don't want to be in eternity with a God like that either. And I got to just say, but that's not the God I know and have this, have this like life-changing conversation. But the point of telling you all that is that here is, here is someone who <clears throat> couldn't help but project onto God what wasn't God's. It was her abusers. How are you helping people differentiate, hey, some of your baggage, some of your spiritual hangups, those are things that Christians have done to you, that the church has done to you, but not Jesus. How do you help people separate that? Well, I think it's the part of the of the deconstruction movement that's actually healthy. I think that this is the detangling from the things that the world has placed on us, that people have placed on us that isn't God. That's not Jesus. That's that's not who he is. Obviously, this abuser needs to uh, be put away immediately and needs to not be in leadership. And that's one of the reasons why Raised to Stay, I'm so clear to say, the stay and raised to stay is not about staying in an abusive church. It's not about staying under an abusive leader, but abiding in Christ so that we know the difference between the voice of our father and the voice of an abuser. And what happens is, is those two get so convoluted when it's at the hands of someone who we're supposed to trust. And so with these wolves in sheep's clothing, they sound like God, they know scriptures, they twist scripture to match what they want and to feed their own egos. And then we have have these abuse victims who feel like they have to stay quiet and to just do whatever they're told because it's at the hand of a trusted leader. And so there is so much of that happening in our churches because we have placed leaders in pastoral positions who are not safe, who are not true shepherds. They're performers, they're celebrities, they're people with a lot of weight to their name. And so when they say be quiet, 
and they attach God to it, to a young girl who may not have a father or who may not understand the word of God or know the voice of, of God, our mm-hmm. true father, of course, that is going to feel very real. And she is going to attach this abuse situation to God and potentially to eternity. And that is why we have to keep having these conversations. It's why we need to advocate for abuse victims. It's why when somebody comes to us and says in our church culture that there is somebody who is hurting the sheep, that we need to take it very seriously at the very first offense and not continue to keep people in position who could potentially be abusing spiritually, sexually, physically, any of that, any of our people. And that's what I'm advocating for is that we stop defending the church for bad behavior, start calling out the abusers, removing them from positions the minute we know that it's an issue, and getting counseling for those abuse victims who may not even know they were abused until 20 years later. And so I think that that story is a small representation of what's happening in the greater church, which is what I'm hoping this book is doing, is starting to give people permission to name their abuse, name their hurt, and then actively begin to start pursuing healing through the Lord and through healthy church culture. Mm, I love it so much. You encourage people to be stayers instead of quitters. What do you think being a part of a church, why do you think it's so important? What's so What's so meaningful or beautiful that can come out of staying versus quitting? I love throughout all of scripture, you see that God and Jesus, like they both are just such advocates for the gathered church. And even when Jesus ascends into heaven, he says like, hey, I'm going, but I'm going to leave with you my Holy Spirit. And it's in the next chapter of Acts and second chapter of Acts that this 120 go into the upper room and it's through being unified on the promises of God that the Holy Spirit falls in that room. And they are basically the very beginning birth of the church. And when we see the church in its health, when we see the church on mission and we're together and we're worshiping and we're on mission with the great commission, the Holy Spirit will meet. And the promise of the Lord is that where there is unity, it will command his blessing. And so when we sit in this unified space of worshiping in spirit and in truth, worshiping together, there is something beautiful that happens among the people of God when we come into one place and one accord and we're in agreement that we are going to love God, love people and go and make disciples. There is something about that for the widow, for the one who is a single mom, for those who are looking for family. God has always wanted his kids to be in family together. And the church brings us into a family, which is why it hurts so bad when we hurt each other, is because we're supposed to be the safe family of God. And so I just believe that if you're able to find a healthy church, that that is the beginning to healing. It's the beginning to not having, not being alone. It's a place for us to come together and to worship, but really it's a picture of heaven on earth. And until we get around the throne room, it's the closest to heaven that we're going to get. When you have been sharing this message, putting your book out there, doing podcast interviews, Have you heard stories of people who trusted again, risked again, and the beauty that came out of that? It's my favorite stories. It really is because it means that they were brave enough to try again. And I believe God honors that bravery. I believe he smiles on it. While I believe he also sits with us in those in those times of needing to have a minute to rest and not go anywhere, I believe that God is just like beaming in heaven when he sees the family of God be the family of God to someone who's been hurt. And so these these testimonies that come in are 
you know, anything from I went back to the church where this one leader was not nice to me, um, ended up being a huge misunderstanding. We had coffee. Um, everything is good. I'm not going to go back to church there, but I've been able to forgive them. Mm-hmm. We've moved on. Those are the stories that are really encouraging to me because people are choosing to walk towards healing. And even if their abuser um, is in jail <laughs> or they're not able to talk to them, they're able to release that abuser from their heart and begin to take the steps towards counseling take the steps towards spiritual direction. And really that's what we're doing when we forgive people. It doesn't mean that we're trusting them again. It doesn't mean that we're going back to their churches, but we're releasing them so that we can start running this race well. And and that's what I'm hearing from the from people who have been hurt by the church is by taking the risk of healing, I'm beginning to step back into my yes. I'm beginning to love Jesus again. I'm beginning to uh, slowly trust church leaders again and trust the church again. And, and that is what gives my heart just such hope. But on the other side of it, we're also challenging the church. We're saying to the church, do better. We're saying we can't keep hurting people. We can't keep abusing people. We can't keep putting abusers in position. And I really hope that this book is the start of giving a voice to congregants and to staff members to say, we're not going to stand for abuse anymore. And if we see it, we're going to say something. Mm, So good. I have to ask you before we close up this podcast, you were a kinesiology student. You became a teacher. What led you from that place to now writing this book and putting it out? You could have never told me 20 years ago that this is what I would be doing. I was so against going into full-time ministry. I wanted to be an actress. I loved teaching. I just wanted to do anything but ministry because I didn't want (laughs) to get hurt. I just didn't want to go through it again. And what's interesting is that worship is what kind of brought me back into the church. I became a worship leader for Campus Crusade for Christ. And from that, kind of got into that early 2000s worship movement with Louis Giglio, the passion movement. There were so many amazing worship movements that were happening when I was in college, that it slowly began to lull me back into the church. And it was because I loved worshiping with the church. And so worship was my gateway back into ministry. I was bivocational for 10 years. I was a gym teacher by day, worship leader by weekend. And then it was around 33 that the Lord allowed me to go full-time back onto church staff. And that was a huge step. That was a a big emotional, spiritual step for me to walk away from a a job that wasn't in the church to going back onto a church staff Mm -hmm. and really putting my heart back on the line. And then it was through that course of the 10 years that followed that I would get hurt by the church again. I would get hurt by people and raised to stay was birthed out of me really telling the enemy, I'm not quitting. You can keep doing this to me, but I know that God's church is good. I know God is good and I'm going to fight for it. And that's really where this ministry has led me is fighting uh, for the people of God, fighting for the church, not defending bad behavior, but really contending for unity within the people of God, because I believe in it. I believe that God's church is good. Mm, Such a timely message, Natalie. And I'm so glad you came on today to share it. There are going to be people who want to get a copy of your book, follow along with what you do. How can they do that? Well, the Raise to Stay community on Instagram, I call everybody my stayers. Uh, that's probably where we hang out the most is over there. And then I have a few Facebook groups under Natalie Runyon and Raise to Stay. And they can get the book anywhere. We can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, ChristianBooks.com. And I just pray that it's a, a good starter of a conversation that uh, needs to be had in the church of how we can uh, challenge the church and champion each other. Mm-hmm. Love that so much. Thank you for hanging out, Natalie. Thanks for having me. 
friend, I hope that you uh, enjoyed that interview. I know I did. It's so timely. I just heard several things that I think are important. One is naming the pain that you've experienced, uh, calling out deep wrongs and abuse that have happened in the church to you or to others, entering a, a space of healing, trusting God can meet you in that place, owning any responsibility that you've brought to the table and hurting others, and then beginning to reconstruct. There's so many things that Natalie touched on. And my greatest hope for you and for me is that when we're hurt by other people, we won't project that hurt onto the way we view Jesus. I think Jesus wants to come into our pain and he wants to mend us up. He wants to rename us. He wants to remind us of who we are in him. He wants to care for us and show us that we are worthy of good. He wants to redeem our pain. And so often we take our anger and our bitterness and our blame and we project it on him. And so my hope is today that you will allow him to run into that pain you're feeling and that you would allow him to heal it. Instead of holding that pain against him, allow him to come in and heal it. Friend, I hope that you keep reconstructing the church, that you would be a part of the change that you want to see in Christian community, that you would keep fighting for what it can be, and that you would allow God to use you to make it so. Keep colliding, and we'll catch you next week.